Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We want to go to the word of the Lord at this time. We're going to go into part three and the final uh, chapter of the series we've been in the last two Wednesday nights entitled God's Plan. Been talking about God's overall plan for this earth and specifically for mankind. And, uh, you know, it's really, it's really a challenge to a pastor like me who has a congregation filled with so many uh, veteran saints and students of the Word of God who know the Bible as well as you all do. It's a challenge to the poor pastor, you know, to bring the Word of the Lord uh, in a fresh way every time, two or three times a week sometimes, uh, to bring you subjects and talk about things that are in the Word of God that you've heard possibly many, 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 many times, many Bible lessons, many sermons on whatever topic or uh, idea or precept that I bring from the Word of the Lord. But I appreciate you being kind enough to amen me when uh, you agree and not get too weary of maybe hearing something you've heard before, but I do try to present it uh, most of the time in a little bit different way. And, and, and everybody here tonight knows, almost everyone probably could uh, give a really good Bible study yourself on God's plan for man. Thank you, Brother Wayne. God created man to love him and, and, and for him to love man. And you know that. So I could say that's God's plan and we could, could close my Bible and pray a prayer of dismissal and go home. But I'm not going to do it quite that way, am I? Um, I tell you what, why don't we stay here long enough? Why don't I teach long enough for it to stop raining? How many is willing to make that bargain? Oh, man. I don't know if you should have raised your hand or not. What if it rains till 3 a.m.? It's okay with some of you. I think I checked the weather report. It's supposed to stop by 9. Unless God changes something, we will be long gone before 9. Tonight is uh, part 3, as I said. Let's read the verse. Let's read it out loud. You don't have to stand, but you can stay seated. Let's read it out loud, our key verse for this series. John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most familiar verse known to, when you take all of the human race together, most familiar verse to the most people on this planet. Let's, uh, most of you could uh, quote it. Let's read it out loud. Help me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This verse really encapsulates in a very concise form God's plan in a nutshell. God so loved the world, God is love, that he gave his only begotten son. He came to earth himself in the form of one of us, and that flesh of God was called the Son of God, 
so that uh, after he did what was necessary to make this possible, which is sacrifice himself on Calvary, so that anyone who chooses could have eternal life. And uh, I don't know what that's going to be like, but I tell you what, if this life walking with Jesus through this earthly veil is any portrayal in the least little bit of what it's going to be like after this life, it's going to be good. Uh, Jesus told some folks when he was here on the earth, he said, uh, he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And then he went on to explain himself and he said, I'm talking about in this life and in the one to come. So it's not just some pie in the sky heaven that we've got to wait for to enjoy living life. In fact, the only way you can really truly fully enjoy life here on earth is do it God's way. We talked about that last time when we talked about principles, and uh, I've, I've taught on this several times or alluded to it, the principle of a, a manufacturer or a creator or an inventor who creates something, whatever it is, they're going to know more about it and how it's supposed to work and function than anything else, right? Uh, in fact, let's just review. Go to the next slide, Brother Terry. The first lesson involved uh, talking about God's uh, love for his creation of mankind, for God so loved the world. And then last week we talked about part two, the principles that God put into place inside and built into his creation, whether that's uh, on some planet in some galaxy in some part of outer space uh, light years away that we don't even know exist or right here on this planet. Uh, everything from the law of gravity to the law of uh, water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, those principles that exist we're very familiar with uh, in the natural and the physical realm, but those principles God created also principles in the spiritual realm and regarding spiritual things. And that's uh, really where we want to focus uh, tonight as we conclude this study by going to part three of God's plan. It's entitled Man's Greatest Need. And uh, I'll tell you right off that man's greatest need is the same as God's greatest desire. The two are equal. What God wants the most is what you and I and every human being needs the most. And that is to share an enduring, everlasting, forever uh, existing relationship, spirit to spirit relationship with God. So, uh, as we said last week, since God is a God of principles, everything that he created was uh, built to operate by certain principles that guarantee if they are operated, if that thing is operated according to the principles God created it by, then it will function properly. It'll work right. 
That's true for a part you put on a, a vehicle, a, a, an automobile, or a SUV. That's true for your soul and mine. So everything that God created, whether it was plant or animal or fish or bird or star or human being, has got to adhere to those principles that govern their life and their existence if they are going to reach their full potential and be fulfilled in the purpose that God created them for. And one of the most important of these principles that uh, uh, God ordained to preserve and to protect his handiwork and, and to assure the maximum performance of everything that he created, the principle is environment. Environment. The principle of environment. Now, the word is uh, environment is defined by Webster like this. It's defined as circumstances, objects, and conditions by which one is surrounded. Another way of saying it is the nature of the environment will always affect the state, function, and efficiency of something whether it's a product or a human being. Uh, let's say, for example, you go out and buy a, a television. I have absolutely no idea how much these big televisions cost. I, I, I'm amazed when I drive through our neighborhood. I just drive through the Fruit Bowl or any neighborhood in town or really any other town, and if someone's got their big picture window in the living room open, the curtains open, and their TV, you know, on the wall is on, especially at night, you can see it. I have seen some humongous TV screens. And I know, uh, I know that everything is flat screen now, I think. I'm not really up in the field, but uh, they hang them on the wall, and just uh, the, the last TV we got was given to us, and it's probably not any bigger than... It's not even as big as as wide as that uh, keyboard. It's it's probably a couple feet. It's not very big at all. Let's say you bought a TV for five thousand dollars. Can you buy one for five thousand dollars? Can you? Can you really? Wow. Okay. So let's say you go out. I bet you can't find a five thousand dollar one at Walmart, can you? Let's say you buy a TV for five thousand dollars and you drive to the ocean. And you throw that brand spanking new TV off the beach. No, better than that, get in a boat and go a mile out off shore and throw that brand new TV in the ocean. Let's say uh, you also go out and buy a boat. Let's make it an ocean-going vessel. Let's say a 30-foot yacht. Well, that might be too big. Let's, let's say a, 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 huh? That's not very big. Can you pull it with a vehicle? Okay, let's say you, you, you buy this brand new boat that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and hook it up to the back of your truck, only you don't put it on a trailer. Sitting on the ground, make sure the chain's good and steady, and you take off down the road. And you drag that boat down the highway behind a truck. You will find when you try to use that television after you pull it back up out of the ocean, 
take it home, plug it in. Uh, when you try to make it work, you'll find you wasted $5,000. Just threw it out the window. Same with the boat. After you drag that boat down the road for you know, 10 or 15 miles and you take it back to the water somewhere and put it in the water, you will find what? That it has been destroyed by the road. Why did those two things happen? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you put the television and the boat in the wrong environment. You put them in an environment that they were never intended by the manufacturer who made them to be put into. The manufacturer of boats doesn't make one. I, I don't know of one that's made sturdy enough to where you can just drag it on the ground out to the lake. And the same with the TV. I, I don't think yet that they've made, I may be wrong, but not for common people's use. I don't think they've made a waterproof television yet. So no matter how expensive the product is, it'll shut down if the environment that it is operated in is different from what the manufacturer intended, right? A wrong environment that is an environment where the product is out of place will always translate into wasted potential, whatever it is. So the key to a product's efficient and effective operation is making sure that it is put in the right environment. Now, we have to understand that that applies to we human beings as well. Why is that? Because that's a principle that God created. And it doesn't apply just to electronics and man-made uh, physical uh, products, it applies to human beings as well, and, and everything that God created. So this, this prescribed, uh, desired environment is really what is called uh, a, an ideal environment. And an ideal environment just means that it's a perfect environment that God, who's our manufacturer, has prescribed for each product. That's why God placed man when he made the first one and his wife in Eden. Eden was man's ideal environment. And I'm going to tell you why. When God planned what man would be, which is a spiritual being, uh, now he had a body we still do. The body we have now is different from the one that Adam and Eve were created with in the beginning. But that body, again, then and now, was simply designed and carries out the function of holding the real person, which is on the inside. All right? We are spirit, spirit and soul inside, but I'm not going to get into that tonight. So when God did that, when he created man, he determined where man would live, what kind of environment it would be, and, and, and God didn't take man and just put him any old place on planet Earth. God chose a specific spot on this big planet that he created, and he put the man in that specially chosen place, which we know as the Garden of Eden. Now, let's try to figure out what that is. 
the, the Hebrew word, you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, the root word in Hebrew of the word Eden uh, has a little bit of mystery about it. Hebrew scholars uh, can't pin it down completely. But if you go to the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is what in the New Testament days the Apostle Paul and the other uh, disciples and the men that uh, follow Jesus and uh, those that could read, they read the Old Testament, which was all the Bible they had at that time. Remember, they were in the process years later of writing the New Testament. So the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. It was uh, written in Hebrew, but by the time of Jesus' day and his disciples and for the next several uh, generations, somebody had translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek which was the most common language that was read and used in New Testament times. It would be like we have the Bible for us translated into the most used language called English. So they had the Greek version of the Old Testament. It was called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint uh, talks about this Hebrew verb Eden or Eden, which means literally delight. So therefore, Eden is translated as the garden of delight. And there are other instances of the word Eden in the Old Testament uh, that equate with the garden of the Lord. Put up Isaiah 51 and 3, Brother Terry. It says, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins, he will make, now Zion represents Israel here, he will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. So this seems to, to be saying that the gen Genesis, the, the garden description in Genesis as the place where God walked in the cool of the day is is a garden uh, of delight. Read uh, or put up Genesis 3 and verse 8. Let's read it. It says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So God prepared a garden for man to live in, an environment where it was obviously pleasant and it was the place. This is the most important part about Eden. It wasn't the beauty. It wasn't that they didn't have to work for their food. It wasn't that they had all kinds of good stuff to eat. The main thing about the Garden of Eden was that was the place on earth that God chose to come down and touch with his literal presence. Okay, that's important. The presence of the Lord was there. Now we know the Bible says God fills all time and space, so He's everywhere uh, except in hell. He won't be in hell, but that's by His own choice. God's presence is everywhere He wants to go. Uh, if His presence isn't somewhere, it's because He chooses not to go there. But here, uh, th this is the reason why the Bible says, uh, it never says that Adam planted the Garden of Eden. Uh, Rather, God was the one who planted the garden. 
God came and he impressed, he planted his presence in the earth. So get the picture of this. Eden was the one place where God's presence dwelt literally at that time. It was the garden of his presence. It was the spot of the pleasantness, and, and I'm lacking words to, that I can think of uh, that would be in the presence of God. It was there precisely at that point on this huge planet that God put Adam. And the environment that God intended for Adam to have forever and every one of his descendants, God's plan, that's what we're talking about, was for there to be unbroken fellowship between God and man. That was the environment that God planned for man from the beginning. Unbroken fellowship. Think of God walking in the cool of the day there in the garden. So your ideal environment and my ideal, the very best possible environment for us is nothing more and nothing less than the presence of God himself. That's what we were created for to live in God's presence. And if his presence is where you are, then you're going to feel it, not necessarily emotionally, but you're going to receive all the time. I'm glad that sometimes I feel the spirit of the Lord in his presence, but I'm glad that, that he's with me all the time, and his presence with us is shown. It's not just felt emotionally. It is proven by the things that take place in our world. I want to tell somebody here tonight, a husband, you don't need a husband or a wife to be fulfilled in life if that's God's plan for you. Now, it may be God's plan to complete you through a spouse, but uh, the Apostle Paul said, I'm content whatever, so whatsoever state I'm in. I've learned to be content like that. My, my point is this, you don't need anything to complete you or cause you to succeed or to prosper or to be happy or fulfilled, but the will of God for your life. And the will of God for every life of every human being is to exist and live and operate in the presence of God. That's the place where man functions the best, functions properly in the presence of God. Despite the fact that we are born into this life now because of Adam and Eve's wrong choice to sin, we are born into this life in sin, and we have lost the holiness uh, that God gave man when he created him. Adam and Eve were holy uh, in the beginning. They were created. Holiness is not uh, built into uh, necessarily just what we look like on the outside or how we adorn or don't adorn our uh, outer man or where we go. Or Holiness is a spiritual thing, and I, I guess it's about time for me to teach on that subject again soon. It's been a, a couple of years. I need to ask God about that. But holiness simply means separated unto God. That's the, that's the nutshell 
meaning of holiness. God is holy, therefore he wants us to be holy. He wants us to belong to him first and foremost. He is a jealous God. The Bible says it just like that. He is a jealous God. So when we are born in sin, uh, we are still made in the image of God and, and, and because of our sin nature and when we, like every one of us does, every human being does this, follow up with sinful behavior, we give in to our flesh nature and our sin nature and we sin, that still doesn't change that underlying basic makeup of what God made us as needing the presence of God. Uh, what has changed by sin is really our ability to act like God, to act like God wants us to act, and he wants us to act like him. God wants us to think like him. God wants us to act like him. God wants us to like what he likes and not like what he doesn't like. He's a jealous God. If you're going to serve God, you've got to do it his way, not your way. God wants us to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And so man lost that connection with the presence of God through the sin in the garden when Eve first yielded to the temptation to disobey God by taking of the fruit that God had said of the one tree you're not supposed to eat from. We all know about that. So in other words, Man is still a spiritual being housed inside a fleshly body, but we are separated from God and, and we've lost some things when we're born. We're lost, we, we've lost some things that man, Adam and Eve had in the beginning before sin, things like the righteousness of God and truth. Uh, put up Psalm 31 and 5, Brother Terry. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Okay, David here, this verse is, is best known because it's what Jesus, for this, it's what Jesus repeated when he was on the cross. Okay, when he was dying, hanging on the cross, uh, he said to the Lord, uh, he said to the Father, his flesh said to uh, his spirit, I into thy hand I commit my spirit. The Bible says he gave up the ghost. But David here who wrote this verse, wrote it originally. He didn't know that, you know, what it was going to be used for by God when he came to earth to be repeated. He was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. That verse was written not just for prophetical reasons, so it would show up again in the New Testament when Jesus came. But he was proclaiming a very important principle. And that is that we human beings are estranged from God and we need to be brought back to him. And the Bible likens that to a custom that was uh, on the earth for hundreds of years uh, and among the Israelites too called redemption. When uh, a person was given over to slavery, they could be redeemed or if they were hired out by parents or, or whatever. They could be redeemed, and the word redeemed means literally bought back. And so this scripture is a beautiful uh, prophetical utterance about what needs to happen for us because when we're born, we're born a sinner, 
and we need to be reconciled with God or redeemed. Uh, look at Psalm 45 and 4. It says, uh, and in thy majesty, ride prosperously. He's talking to the Lord here. Because of truth and meekness and righteousness, thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. God is a God of truth, and he's a God of meekness. That's one of the uh, fruit of the Spirit and righteousness. These are things that we are now, as human beings, brought into this world without. God gave it to Adam and Eve, but they messed up. And because of that, we don't have these things that God gave us and intended for us to have when he created us, when he created man. So God's plan is to take us through the process of being reconciled back to him. That's why David, after his sin with Bathsheba, sought after the Lord with these words in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, the King James says, a pure heart, the NIV says, O God, and renew a right spirit or a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, watch this, or take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew, even though God had given his people in the Old Testament the plan of, of worshiping him and approaching him by killing animals and sacrificing, draining their blood and going through ceremonies that seem archaic to us today in the New Testament. David was a man born out of time, at least spiritually. He had spiritual understanding beyond everyone else, uh, most everyone else in the Old Testament. He knew that God wanted something more than the blood of dead animals. He knew that God wanted something from his heart that pleased God. And so he knew that his heart and his spirit weren't right with God because of his sin, and he pleaded with God instead of sin. He also knew the penalty for what he had done was death. Now, he was a king. He knew he probably wouldn't be put to death, but the Old Testament law, the, the punishment for adultery and murder, both of which David committed, was death. But that didn't concern David as much as his relationship with the God that he had fallen in love with. There it is, creeping up out of the Old Testament, sticking up its head. God's plan was for us to walk hand in hand in close relationship with him. Uh, I'm not sure that this is a good phrase or not, but... Uh, I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, somebody might poke holes in it, but it, it gets a point across that I, I really can't think of a better way to say it, and that is this, that sinners in God's plan, and maybe not technically, uh, theologically, but, but the essence of, of what, what God has in mind for us and his plan for us Sinners are really just malfunctioning saints. Think about it. Uh, the condition of man's heart and spirit haven't been right ever since Adam and Eve chose disobedience. And, and even though uh, Adam and Eve, they seem to be doing okay after 
God sent them forth out of the garden. He, he kicked them out. They, it appeared like they were doing okay. Uh, they lived to be over 900 years old. And, uh, but the truth is they were malfunctioning fine. They weren't functioning fine. Adam was working the ground and, and Eve was having kids as God had commanded. And it, it looked like, you know, they had kind of salvaged what had happened and moved on somewhat successfully. But not so. Adam really, and all men, his descendants that came after him, really, they were completely malfunctioning because, remember, nothing can function right or properly outside of its intended environment. And that's the way God made man, too. So, uh, Adam did not die physically. He said to them, you, the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. They didn't die physically that day, but they died spiritually because that relationship that God created them for was cut off because of sin, because God hates sin. Uh, sin originated in heaven with Satan's rebellion, and God would not let it stay in heaven, and he's not going to let it stay on this earth at some point and in the new earth that he's going to create, and he's not going to let sin come back to heaven. So even though he didn't die physically, Adam died spiritually when he was cut off from the presence of the Lord. Because, think about it, death, true death, in its truest sense, is being absent from the presence of the Lord. That's what death is. It's spiritual death. So we're all born dead spiritually. That's why Jesus said we have to be born again. John chapter 3, if you've never read what Jesus told Nicodemus that night, Nicodemus came to visit him. He said, unless you are born again, you can't go to heaven. That's what it says. You can't enter the kingdom of God. And he even clarified it. He said, you must be born again of the water. That's baptism. And of the Spirit. That's Holy Ghost infilling, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, uh, Adam and Eve committed sin. They begin to malfunction. And that's the whole problem with the world today, folks. It really is. Men and women are malfunctioning. They're sinning because they can't function properly apart from God. And so, this condition of human beings malfunctioning would have continued indefinitely had God not decided, even before we did it, he knew it was going to happen, had he not prearranged a plan to fix it, to fix the situation that they messed up by disobeying him. So while we were distant from God, while we were estranged from God because we were contaminated by sin, God did something to provide the solution. Let's read about it. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read four or five verses. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died. That's it. That's what he did. 
for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad? Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Praise God. Praise God. God came to our rescue because he wants his family back. Aren't you glad? He knows that sin is the malfunctioning of his creation called mankind and that we are in the wrong environment until we follow his plan that he gave us. Talking about God's plan tonight. Until we follow and adhere to his plan, we are malfunctioning in the wrong environment, an environment of sin, this world. So, so God... God works on us, and he draws us. The Bible says we are drawn to him by his spirit, and, and, and God is working on restoring the human race, bringing it back to him one individual at a time. Uh, and sometimes I, I just wonder, I don't think I can really imagine, but sometimes I wonder how God feels about it all. Because I, you know, as, as one of his children, every week, almost every day, I come face to face with the fact that somebody who has been given the opportunity to love God back, who loved him first and died for him or her, refuses to do that. It's so sad. It's so sad. I, I just wonder how God feels. But you know what? Man has always done that. Put up Psalm 78, verse 40, 41. It says, yea, talking about Israel, uh, when he brought them out of uh, Egypt, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Uh, God even told Moses and Aaron, uh, because they messed up, they, they didn't do it God's way. They didn't get to go in uh, to the promised land. Read uh, Numbers 20, or let's put that up, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. That means he showed them that he was God. Because remember, holiness is an attribute of God, and God wants us to be holy like him. That means like him in every way possible. Think like him, act like him, want what he wants, love what he loves. And uh, you remember Moses, this is the second time that Israel, wandering in the wilderness, needed water. Three to six million people, Jews, needed water. They were in the dry deserts. And the first time God said, to Moses, strike the rock, and water came flowing enough to water three to six million people and all their animals that were with them, thousands of sheep and goats and who knows what they had. So they need water again years later. 
And Moses was so put out, he was so angry with the Israelites who were so backslidden and did not want to do what God wanted them to do. Their heart was operating in the wrong environment. And so in anger, God said, this time I don't want you to strike the rock. I want you to, got any Bible scholars here? Speak to it. He wanted Moses to speak to the rock, and God would miraculously make water come out. Uh, and I won't ask for a Bible scholar here to explain it. I'll explain it. The reason God didn't want Moses to strike it the second time because Moses striking the rock the first time was a type of Christ being struck or put to death one time for the sins of all of mankind. So God got angry because Moses messed up the typology. And he said, because of that, Moses, you can't go into the promised land. Uh, and that's the way mankind has been operating in, in malfunctioning, sinning ever since the garden until and unless we give ourselves to his plan. It's just in us. That's what our, our sin nature does to us. So now God has to deal with the human race in sin and iniquity and rebellion. Uh, he has to deal with that before we can get to the holy place. The, the priest in the Old Testament had to go through all kinds of cleansing rituals, wash several times in the laver of water and uh, other things. I won't go into that. Before he could go into that back room in the tabernacle, the holy of holies, where the presence of God, again, like it was in the garden, would literally come down into that room and the high priest, that one human being only, one day a year on the Day of Atonement, this was in the Old Testament worship pattern, could witness and experience the presence of God. So God, that was all a type of the fact that now God has to uh, have us go through the process of dealing with our sin and our disobedience and our rebellion and everything that's in our sin nature before his plan can become complete and that is we come into his presence and we do that through repentance and baptism in Jesus name and the blood of Jesus is applied to us through those two acts of obedience on our part then the Holy Ghost comes in praise God the presence of God Amen. Musicians, would you come? God's prescription for our sin is the only one that works. And isn't it amazing that the, the whole world of Christianity with the hundreds of different denominations and, and, and groups and, and what, you know, we all believe different stuff. And there's overlapping. Some believe some things that other groups do. Isn't it amazing that there's only, the Bible only gives one way. God says there's only one plan, God's plan. If you, try to do, you, if you try to take God's plan and change it up a little bit, like change the formula for baptism from in Jesus' name, which is the only way anybody was ever baptized. Nobody was ever baptized in, in the New Testament with the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost proclaimed over them. You won't find it. 
I'll give you a million dollars if you find it where anybody was baptized and the person doing the baptism said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's not in there. Every time somebody was baptized after the church began on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized the way Peter said on the day of Pentecost, the first day of the New Testament church, he said, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a part of God's plan. If you try to change it, that or any other part of God's plan won't work. Manufacturer says, nope, you got to go by my rules that I created when I created the product. Let's stand together. Man's greatest need is to be in the presence fully of God without hindrances and without distractions that try to dilute his presence. That's why we need to every day spend time with him and let him cleanse us of the things that come into our life, the cares of life and, and things we're exposed to in, in this old world that pull at us and draw us. We need to let the presence of God come into us and wash us and cleanse us. And we need to sup with Him and fellowship with Him on a regular basis every day. That's God's plan. Praise God. How many are thankful for that plan tonight? In closing, let's lift our hands and give Him praise for such a beautiful way to show His great love to those that He created for that purpose. God, I love you tonight. You're a great, big, wonderful God, and I don't even know the smallest, minuscule detail of your existence. But what you have shown me lets me know you're a fabulous God. You're a mighty God. You're a holy God. You're a wonderful God. You're a Savior that came to do what I couldn't do, which is make what was wrong with me right because of sin. You came and you shed your blood on an old rugged cross. I thank you that you gave me your plan, that if I would follow your plan, God, I could have that sin problem taken care of in my life and be ushered into your presence. And what's so great about it, God, is if I choose, I can be in your presence, not just for the rest of my life here on earth, but for all eternity. Oh, I thank you for it tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, we rejoice in the Lord, in the God of our salvation. And we praise the Lord Most High, who has gotten us the victory. You've already fought hell for us. You've already won the battle. In fact, you've already settled the issue of who's going to win the war. It's over. Our enemy's defeated because of all that you've done, fulfilling your plan. Oh, God, we thank you for that plan tonight. My prayer, God, is that everyone under the sound of my voice, everyone watching online, everyone I ever have or ever will meet, and everybody they know, that's a whole lot of people, God, that they would come to know you by obeying your plan. For you love them so much that you came and died that they might not perish, but that they might have everlasting life. I thank you for it tonight, God. Send us, send us out to them to tell them about it until the last day that we spend here on this planet and go to be with you. Use us, God, 
to reach the lost. Thank you for all these things. Thank you for this precious people, this church. God, our guests that are here tonight, thank you for keeping us safe in our journey home in the rain. We love you and we praise you for all things. Bring us back at the appointed time. And until then and forever, help us to walk in your will, oh God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say that with me, in Jesus' name. Let's say it again, in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.